All right, guys. So now, hopefully, you had a happy Halloween weekend. Um, when we left Montag, he was his world was crashing down because um, Mildred had tried to commit suicide. Um, Clarice was making him question his happiness. Things had just kind of gotten out of control, and so that's where we're going to pick up. We're going to start on page eighteen, which really I know it says nineteen on the thing, but we're going to start on page eighteen, which says at nine in the morning. At nine in the morning, Mildred's bed was empty. So she was just last night getting her stomach pumped out. Now she's just gone. Montag got up quickly, his heart pumping, and ran down the hall and stopped at the kitchen door. Toast popped out of a silver toaster, was seized by a spidery metal hand that drenched it with melted butter, like a robot toaster. Mildred watched the toast delivered to her plate. She had both ears plugged with electronic bees that were humming the hour away, so she's got her earbuds back in. She looked up suddenly and saw him and nodded. Are you all right? he asked. She was an expert at lip reading from 10 years of apprenticeship at seashell ear thimbles. She nodded again. She set the toaster clicking away at another piece of bread. Montag sat down. His wife said, I don't know why I should be so hungry. You, I'm hungry. Last night, he began, didn't sleep well, feel terrible, she said. Good God, I'm hungry. I can't figure it out. Last night, he said again. She watched his lip casually. What about last night? Don't you remember? What? Did we have a wild party or something? I feel like I have a hangover. God, I'm hungry. Who was here? A few people, he said. That's what I thought. She chewed her toast. Store, sore stomach. But I'm hungry as all... Sore stomach, but I'm hungry as I'll get out. Hope I didn't do anything foolish at the party. <laughs> no, he said quietly. The toaster spidered out a piece of buttered bread for him. He held it in his hand, feeling obligated. You don't look so hot yourself, said his wife. In the late afternoon, it rained and the entire world was dark gray. He stood in the hall of his house, putting on his badge with the orange salamander burning across it. He stood looking up at the air conditioning vent in the hall for a long time. So there he's looking at that ventilator again. This is so interesting. His wife in the TV parlor paused long enough from her reading her script to glance up. Hey, she said, the man's thinking... Yes, he said. I wanted to talk to you. He paused. You took all the pills in your bottle last night. Oh, I wouldn't do that, she said, surprised. The bottle was empty. I wouldn't do a thing like that. Why would I do a thing like that, she said. Maybe you took two pills and forgot and took two more and forgot again and took two more and were so dopey you kept right on until you had 30 or 40 of them in you. Heck, she said, what would I go and do a silly thing like that for? I don't know, he said. She was quite obviously waiting for him to go. I didn't do that, she said. Never in a billion years. All right, if you say so, he said. That's what the lady said. She turned back to her script. What's on this afternoon, he asked tiredly. She didn't look up from the script again. Well, this is a play. This is a play. Comes on the wall-to-wall -wall circuit in ten minutes. They mailed me my part this morning. I sent in some box tops. They write the script with one part missing. It's a new idea. The homemaker, that's me, is the missing part. When it comes time for the missing lines, they all look at me out of the three walls and I say the lines. Here, for instance, the man says, What do you think of this whole idea, Helen? And he looks at me sitting here center stage, see? And I say, I say, she paused and ran her finger under a line on the script. I think that's fine. And then they go on with the play until he says, 
Do you agree to that, Helen? And I say, I sure do. Isn't that fun, guy? So their, tele their house has three walls that are television screens. And Mildred has a script that she interacts to the television. So she has a part in the show. So she becomes part of this television world. He stood in the hall looking at her. It's sure fun, she said. What's the play about? I just told you. There are these people named Bob and Ruth and Helen. Oh, it's really fun. It'll be even more fun when we can afford to have the fourth wall installed. How long, you figure, before we save up enough and get the fourth wall torn out and the fourth wall TV put in? It's only $2,000. That's one third of my yearly pay. It's only $2,000, she replied, and I should think you'd consider me sometimes. If we had a fourth wall, why, it'd just be like this room wasn't ours at all, but all kinds of exotic people's rooms. We could do without a few things. So she's basically saying, it's your paycheck, but really it's for me. Um, I want this fourth wall put in, this fourth TV. Um, we could do without, like, you know, food for a while, and we can just use your paycheck to buy my, my uh, TV, TV screen. We're already doing without a few things to pay for the third wall. It was only put in two months ago, remember? Is that all it was? She sat looking at him for a long moment. Well, goodbye, dear. Goodbye, he said. He stopped and turned around. Does it have a happy ending? I haven't read that far. He walked over, read the last page, nodded, folded the script, and handed it back to her. He walked out in, of the house and into the rain. So that's our first glimpse at Millie and uh, Montag's relationship. Um, I don't know what your opinions are, but I don't think that's very good. Okay. The rain was thinning away, and the girl was walking in the center of the sidewalk with her head up, and the few drops falling on her face. She smiled when she saw Montag. So now we're back outside, and now here's Clarice again. Hello. He said hello, and then said, well, what are you up to now? I'm still crazy. The rain feels good. I love to walk in it. I don't think I'd like that, he said. You might if you tried. I never have. She licked her lips. Rain even tastes good. What do you do? Go around trying everything once? He asked. Sometimes twice. She looked at something in her hand. What have you got there? He said. I guess it's the last of the dandelions this year. I don't think, I didn't think I'd find one in the lawn this late. Have you ever heard of rubbing it under your chin? Look. She touched her chin with the flower laughing. Why? If it rubs off, it means I'm in love. Has it? He could hardly do anything else but look. Well, she said, you're yellow under there. <laughs> Fine. Let's give you a try. Let's try you now. It won't work for me. Here. Before he could move, she had put the dandelion under his chin. He drew back and she laughed. Hold still. She peered under his chin and frowned. Well, she said, what a shame. She said, you're not in love with anyone. Yes, I am. It doesn't show. I am very much in love. He tried to conjure up a face to fit the words, but there was no face. See, he should be seeing his wife right now, but he's not. I am. Oh, please don't look that way. It's that dandelion, he said. You've used it all up on yourself. That's why it won't work on me. Of course, that must be it. Oh, now I've upset you. I can see I have. I'm sorry. Really, I am. She touched his elbow. No, no, he said quickly. I'm all right. I've got to be going, so say you forgive me. I don't want you angry with me. I'm not angry. Upset? Yes. I've got to go see my psychiatrist now. They make me go. 
I make up things to say. I don't need, I don't know what he thinks of me. He says I'm a regular onion. I keep him busy peeling away the layers. I'm inclined to believe that you need the psychiatrist, said Montag. A psychiatrist studies people's brains and like their well-being. You don't mean that. He took a deep breath and let it out and last and said, no, I don't mean that. The psychiatrist wants to know why I go out and hike around in the forest and watch birds and collect butterflies. I'll show you my collection someday. Good. They want to know what I do with my time. I tell them that sometimes I just sit and think, but I won't tell them what. I've got them running, and sometimes I tell them I like to put my head back like this and let the rain fall in my mouth. It tastes just like wine. Have you ever tried it? No, I. You have forgiven me, haven't you? Yes, he thought about it. Yes, I have. God knows why. You're peculiar. You're aggravating, yet you're easy to forgive. You say you're 17? Well, next month. How odd. How strange. And my wife, 30, and yet you seem so much older at times. I can't get over it. You're peculiar yourself, Mr. Montag. Sometimes I even forget you're a fireman. Now, may I make you angry again? Go ahead. How did it start? How did you get into it? How did you pick your work, and how did you happen to think to take the job you have? You're not like the others. I've seen a few, I know. When I talk, you look at me. When I said something about the moon, you looked at the moon last night. The others would never do that. The others would walk off and leave me talking, or threaten me. No one ever has time anymore for anyone else. You're one of the few people who put up with me. That's why I think it's so strange you're a fireman. It just doesn't seem right for you somehow. He felt his body divide itself into a hotness and a coldness, a, stiff, a softness and a hardness, a trembling and a not trembling, two, the two halves grinding one upon the other. You'd better run on to your appointment, he said. And she ran off, left him standing there in the rain. Only after a long time did he move. And then, very slowly, as he walked, he tilted his head back in the rain, just for a few minutes, moments, and opened his mouth. So you can definitely tell Clarice is having an effect on him. Okay, this, this next part um, is going to describe something at the firehouse. So this is, a little, this is pretty important. The mechanical hound slept but did not sleep, lived but did not live in its gently humming, gently vibrating, softly illuminated kennel back in a dark corner of the house. So this is a sleeping but not sleeping, breathing but not breathing, dog, the mechanical hound. The dim light of one in the morning, the moonlight from the open sky framed through the great window, touched her here and there, touched here and there on the brass and the copper and the steel of the faintly trembling beast. Light flickered on bits of ruby glass on the and on sensitive capillary hairs in the nylon-brushed nostrils of the creature that quivered gently, gently its eight legs, oh, it's eight legs, not six, spidered under it on a rubber padded paws, on rubber padded paws. So this dog has eight legs and it has, but it has, and it has mechanical, it's like brass and copper and all these things, but it also has hair in its nose, like a human, like a regular dog would. And it has red ruby eyes. Montag slid down the brass pole. He went out to look at the city and the clouds had cleared away completely. And he lit a cigarette and came back to bend down and look at the hound. It was like a great bee come home from some field where the honey is full of poison wildness, of ins insanity and nightmare, its body crammed with the over-rich nectar, and now it was sleeping the evil out of itself. Hello? whispered Montag, fascinated as always with the dead beast, the living beast. Okay, here we have a paradox. We've talked about this. We've got this dead, alive beast. It's dead because it's in a robot, but it's also alive because it has very live-like features. 
Nights when things got dull, which was every night, the men slid down the brass poles and set the ticking combinations of the olfactory, that's the smelling system, olfactory system of the hound, and let loose rats in the firehouse area way, and sometimes chickens, and sometimes cats that would have to be drowned anyway. And there would be a betting, like they would bet on it, to see which of the cats or chickens or rats the hounds would seize first. The animals were turned loose. Three seconds later, the game was done. The rat, cat, or chicken caught half across the areaway, gripped the, by gentling paws while the four-inch hollow steel needle plunged down from the, the proboscis of the hound, the nose, to inject massive jolts of morphine or procaine. The pawn was then tossed into the incinerator, and a new game began. So they treat these... This is like PETA, if it were a, a real animal, if this was real, would be all over this. They are betting and playing with real animals here. And killing them. Montag stayed upstairs most nights when this went on. There had been no time a year, no time two years ago when he had bet with the best of them and lost a week's salary and faced Mildred's insane anger, which showed itself in veins and blotches. But now nights he lay in his bunk, face turned to the wall, listening to the whoops of laughter below and the piano strings scurry of rat feet. The Violent squeaking of mice and the great shadowing motion silence of the hound leaping out like a moth in the raw light, finding, holding its victim, inserting the needle and going back to its kennel to die as if a switch had been turned. Montag touched the muzzle. The hound growled. Montag jumped back. The hound half rose in its kennel and looked at him with the green-blue neon flickering in its suddenly activated eyeballs. So now these red eyes are now green and blue neon lights. It growled again and a strange rasping combination of electrical sizzle, a frying sound, a scraping of metal, a turning of cogs that seemed rusty and ancient with suspicion. No, no, boy, said Montag, his heart pounding. He saw the silver needle extend upon the air an inch, pull back, extend, pull back. The growl simmered in the beast, and it looked at him. Montag backed up. The hound took a step from its kennel. Montag grabbed the brass pole with one hand. The pole reacting slid upward and took him through the ceiling quietly. He stepped off in the half-lit deck of the upper level. He was trembling and his face was green-white. Below the hound had sunk back down upon its eight incredible insect legs and was humming to itself again, its multifaceted eyes at peace. Montag stood, letting the fears pass, by the drop hole. Behind him, four men at a card table, under a green-lidded light, in the corner glanced briefly and said nothing. Only the man with the captain's hat and the sign of the phoenix on his hat, at last, curious, his playing cards in his thin hand, talked across the long room. Montag? It doesn't like me, said Montag. What, the hound? The captain studied his cards. Come off it. It doesn't like or dislike. It's just functions. It's like a lesson in ballistics. It has a trajectory we decide on for it. It follows through. It targets itself, hones itself, and cuts off. It's only copper wire, storage batteries, and electricity. Montag swallowed. Its calculators can be set to any combination. So my many amino acids, so much sulfur, so much butterfat, and alkaline, right? We all know that. All of those chemical balances and percentages on all of us here in the house are recorded in the master file downstairs. It would be easy for someone to set up a partial combination on the hound's memory, a touch of amino acids, perhaps. That would account for what the animal just did now, reacted toward me. So he thinks somebody, who's got a conspiracy theory here, he thinks someone in the firehouse has set the hound to dislike him. Hell, said the captain. Irritated, but not completely angry. Just enough memory set up in it by someone so it growled when I touched it. Who would do a thing like that? asked the captain. You haven't any enemies here, guy. None that I know of. Well, we'll have the hound checked by our technicians tomorrow. This isn't the first time it threatened me. 
said Montag. Last month it happened twice. We'll fix it up. Don't worry. But Montag did not move and only stood thinking of the ventilator grill in the hall at home and what lay hidden behind the grill. This is the third time we've heard about the ventilator grill. Hmm. If someone here in the firehouse knew about the ventilator grill, then mightn't they tell the hound? The captain came over to the drop hole and gave Montag a questioning glance. I was just figuring, said Montag, what does he, what does the hound think about down there at nights? Is it coming alive on us, really? It makes me cold. It doesn't think anything we don't want it to think. That's sad, said Montag quietly, because all we put into it is hunting and finding and killing. What a shame, if that's all it can ever know. Baby snorted gently. Hell, it's a fine bit of craftsmanship, a good rifle that can fetch its own target and guarantees the bullseye every time. That's why, said Montag, I wouldn't want to be its next victim. Why, you got a guilty conscience about something? Montag glanced up swiftly. Beta stood there looking at him steadily with his eyes, while his mouth opened and began to laugh, very softly. All right, that's where we're ending at the top of page 28. Um, I wonder if Beatty has some kind... It's interesting, what does he have in that ventilator grill? And why does he feel so attacked by this hound? And what does Beatty know about Montag? Very interesting. I feel like Beatty is very perceptive and figures things out about Montag pretty early. All right, that's what we're reading today. Um, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Love y'all.